Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Spencer Lodge podcast, sponsored by the awesome Najahi Events. And if you don't know Najahi Events, you should know Najahi Tribe. Currently, they've brought together an e-learning platform with experts from all over the world, teaching us how to brand ourselves, how to trade currency, how to make money, how to become entrepreneurs. You name it, it's all in there. And right now, where you're sat at home and you've not got much to do, you might want to spend some time investing in your own education and developing yourselves for the future. Who knows what it's going to look like after the coronavirus is over. On today's episode, we've got not only a client, but someone that's become a friend, the CEO of an awesome company called Alibar Enterprises. Tyrone Reed, welcome to the show, Ty. Thanks, Spencer. Thanks for having me. It's Pleasure so to nice. It's no nice to sit and talk to you. You and I have probably had, well, we had dinner and we got to know each other a bit, but it's, it's nice to, to have relationships with people that you can do business with and you can have nice relationships with as well. I think the conversation today on today's episode will be really good. So you, look, you, uh, you're a guy from Essex, just like me. I'm a little bit older than you, but um, I like it when the, we have the kind of whole of Essex boy does good type story because we do get a bit pummeled, don't we, us Essex people from uh, the yeah. rest of the UK at least. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, I, I guess um, I, I, I kind of hold two bats there. I've got my England top behind me, uh, a 1966 original from my late father-in-law, um, but I also have Irish parents, so I kind of claim uh, two parts there to my, to my heritage. Um, but no, it's great, and uh, we, we've got friends in common, which is also uh, really, really brings, I think, this whole piece about the world being so small uh, that you're only a couple of... Uh, parts away from people that uh, connect you. And I think it's so, so true. And Dubai, I think, really, really brings that together even more. You're the CEO of a, a, a number of brands within an organization here in the UAE. I want to talk about your childhood. I also want to talk about that. So can you just do us a favor, for the benefit of the audience, just explain um, what your job is, what you do, and how you help people? Yeah, sure. Um, so as you rightly said, CEO of Alibar Enterprises, we've got 18 locations uh, across the UAE. Uh, we've got 13 F&B businesses. And when I say F&B, food and beverage. So these are restaurants. Um, uh, we've got four confectionery brands uh, and we've got one lifestyle brand. Um, within that, uh, I'll, I'll mention a few of the brands so people might be familiar with what they are. So if I look at the confectionery, people I'm sure will know about Candylicious. Uh, it's in the Dubai Mall. Um, we have Garrett Popcorn. Um, uh, we have uh, a bunch of uh, smaller brands within the confectionery business, Spun Candy, um and cube and then when we look into the restaurant business we have social house we have marquette uh, angelina uh, gia two and a number of other brands as well and then on our lifestyle piece uh, which is where we work together spencer is on ethan allen which is uh, an american uh, luxury furniture business um a number of the brands that we have are homegrown we've got six of them out of the 14 brands that we operate are homegrown um and that's really i guess where we're really focused right now is growing our brands independently growing our brands ourselves uh, i've been with the business now for coming up to three and a half four years i've been working for the alabar uh, network for five um and it's it's been an absolute uh hoop really i can know you know it's uh, yes it's it's hard work it's uh you know it's, it's stressful on many many occasions but i guess i'm a very fortunate person where i am in a job uh and i'm in a role uh, in a sector that i love um and this is the sector i've really only ever worked in um, so very fortunate to be leading a team of around five, 540 people. Um, and obviously right now, uh, it's a very challenging time for us all. 
Um, so yeah, it's uh, a really exciting business. Um, lots of fun. Um, we, we, we have a, a lot of front end engagement with our, our, our customers, our guests, as we call them. Um, and, uh, you know, it's a, it's a really happening business. So we're a small business and we say 500, we still treat ourselves as a very small business. So as a CEO, um, I'm very hands-on. Um, and I think that's uh, part of the DNA because we're a family business. And I think that's really the DNA that works through it. How many people does the company employ? Yeah, just over 500. Um, so yeah, we've got 500 team uh, members within the business. Um, and the majority of those work in the food and beverage in the restaurants. So there's about three, 330 of those work in the restaurants and then the rest are between the confectionery business and then into the lifestyle business. Okay. And so you're a CEO of a company, so you must have a PhD in something, an MBA in something else. You must have been to university and got um, a, a master's. Well, what did, what did you get from an education point of view? Because all CEOs have that kind of stuff, don't they? Um, yeah, I mean, most do, I guess, but I don't think it's a necessity. Um, I, I, I grew up in the, the education of hard knocks. As I said, I'm, I'm from an Irish background, got a couple of Irish parents. Um, I'm the youngest of eight. Uh, so I've got seven older, older brothers and sisters and my next sister is seven years older than me. So I grew up with having a, a very solid family around me. Um, and I guess also looking back into the kind of, uh, you know, early 80s, whenever I got to the age of seven or eight, my, my brothers and sisters were leaving and going off to work. Um, they never had a silver spoon. I grew up in a council house uh, in Essex. Um, you know, I started paper round at 12. Uh, I was washing dishes in my local pub at the age of 14. Um, and that's where I got into food and beverage. Um, so from there, you know, working every weekend, my mates were, were out uh, having fun. I would do school and on Friday I'd work in the, in the kitchen washing up. On the Saturday I'd work in the kitchen washing up. And on the Sunday I'd work in the kitchen washing up. Um, but I knew that, you know, if I wanted to go on to college, which I did want to, I wanted to become a chef. Um, I knew I'd have to support that because my parents weren't able to support that. Uh, you know, they, they were both hard uh, workers. My dad worked on the railway. He worked extremely hard. My mum had two, three jobs on occasions, whether that be, again, working in kitchens, cleaning, um, you know, but uh, we had a very, very full household. We had a very loving family. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we, we learned education of life, which has taught me well. Um, you know, so people being at the heart of my business, there's a lot of what I take from growing up uh, in, a, in a very large family about how we behave now. And there's a, there's a lot of things that you take from that in terms of, you know, um, giving, giving into things, uh, you know, making sure that you work in a, in a really um, consensual, uh, you know, way, um, you know, working as a team, uh, working together as a unit. Um, so it's ironic that I come from a big family and now I'm managing a family business and our, a lot of our DNA is around family because it's so important. Uh, and I think that's what makes us, quite unique, I think, because we do have some very strong family morals about what we do and how we behave. You, uh, you say you come from a big family. Tell me, what were you like as a kid? What, when you were 12, 14 years old, what kind of a kid were you? Um, I guess, look, I, seven years gap, um, and a lot of my brothers and sisters, you know, I, I say we came from a, a tough upbringing. They came from a tougher upbringing. Um, you know, having uh, five kids, under six uh, you know my mum and dad had to be they had to be tough on the kids and you know they were you know it, it, it was a tough household um but you know 12 13 i my dad had a massive allotment um so i guess for people who don't know what an allotment is this is like a big piece of land uh, that you get from the municipality from the council 
Um, I'd work on that on the weekends when I wasn't washing up, uh, weeding. Um, and this wasn't, uh, you know, this wasn't a question of you wanted to, you had to. Um, you know, we would, most of our food would come in from that. Um, we had rabbits, uh, we had chickens, um, chickens for eggs and chicken for dinner, rabbits for dinner. Um, you know, we were, we were a household where, you know, when I look back on it now, um, yeah, you know, it, it, it's a really humble background and a really humble beginning. Um, you know, I'd spend hours in, the, in, in my dad's garage sorting out screws into different glasses for him. I mean, Christ, you know, the things that you do as a kid and, you know, somehow I look back and it taught me so much, you know, rebuilding radios. I mean, there's so many dark things that I was talking to my son, my son, he's 14 and, um, he's now getting into electronics and he's, you know, setting up his computer. Um, and what's really great is because I have a passion for technology and, uh, and, and computers and AV and sound, um, we've just got so much in common that we can help each other with, which is great. And that comes from, uh, I, I guess, coming back for, you know, my dad, he was an electrician, you know, he taught me how to wire a plug, set electrics up. So, you know, over these last couple of weeks, I've been bouncing around the house, um, you know, changing light switches to dimmers, you know, doing all the kind of the odd jobs that you just never get chance to, where uh, under circumstances like this with a little bit of extra time, you can kind of get into that again. So, so when it comes back to you being a kid, were you one of the kids that played truant? Were you a good kid? You know, did you, did you behave because you came from that family and there were rules that were quite strict? How did it work? Look, my brothers and sisters were all of the lawbreakers. I guess I was, um, <laughs> I was the compliant one. But I guess that was also because I had older brothers and sisters who were, firstly, I was quite fearful of. Um, so, you know, the, 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 the piece was, if you ever play truant, you're going to have me to deal with. I think sometimes that was actually worse than thinking of my dad. Um, and, you know, I guess they had got through school. Um, and you know, there, was, there was a number of them that were quite parent and uh, quite fatherly to me and, you know, quite parenting to me. Um, you know, I shared a bedroom with my brother. Christ, until I think I was 16. Um, so, you know, having him coming in at certain times of the night in certain ways, whenever he's eight years older than me, my God, you know, uh, that's probably for another podcast. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but you, you, you kind of learn things just really quickly. So I was, um, I was somebody who went to school every day. I enjoyed school. Um, and I did really, I wouldn't say I was, I was very average at school. Um, I made a decision at a very early age. I, 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 my mum seems to recall it was like about the age of seven. I said I wanted to be a chef. Uh, and that kind of path, that, that kind of set my direction. So when I went to senior school, I excelled in home, home economics. I was the only guy in home economics, but that was my piece. I aced it. You know, um, at the age of 15, I arranged for my home economics class to go and visit the Savoy Hotel and look around their kitchens. And I arranged that. I just wrote to the head chef and said, look, we're a home economics class. We live in Essex. Can we come up and visit? Um, so we got that arranged. And that was amazing. We went up and visited the kitchens, you know. Um, and then when I went on after school, I went to catering college. I then done my uh, work experience and my apprenticeship in the Savoy. So it's just one of those mm. where, again, I think at an early age, this, this ability to kind of want to go and get stuff yourself and get on with things yourself, that was really inherent because... I look back at my childhood and there was nothing wrong with it, but I knew there was something better. So that betterment and that wanting to get on in life and do things that could hopefully lead me to uh, some success in later life. I guess at the time, my ambitions at that stage were becoming a chef. Um, and that was really what the path was set for. So, you know, I, I, I started to learn French. I thought that was important. You know, I learned kitchen French quite quickly, but the rest of it kind of fell to the wayside. Um, economics, I was very interested in. Um, and again, very mindful economics, knowing I wanted to go into business, into kitchens, 
with recipes, uh, costings. So yeah, my, uh, my other aspects of it, I wasn't that interested in. I was very average, um, but I really found once I got into catering college, um, and that's where I learned to be a chef, a waiter, a bartender, it was straight A's. You know, the second I walked in the door, it was A plus, A plus, A plus. Um, and I really found an area that I just excelled in. Are you still passionate about that to this day in the same way? Do you still kind of like, I know you've been in the kitchens and then you've obviously moved up and boot yourself into the role you've got now. But the, the, whenever you go in a kitchen, in, you know, in a catering facility, does it feel like kind of like home? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Look, I think um, once you've trained to be a chef, you never forget it. You know, um, handling a knife, cutting up onions in the kitchen, you know, it, it, it drives my wife batty um, because, you know, I'm there and it's like like you know a ramsey sort of style um why can't you just cut an, a, an onion normal well that is normal to me um and it's really interesting because again when we first met uh, i wooed her over dinner um you know the first thing i did was I, I i think i actually went to her place uh and brought pasta and cooked for her and she was like my god you know uh what a guy he can cook um you know so i i always say i think food food always brought us together as a family um and i remember you know we Irish, Irish family, massive dinner table. The kitchen was the heart of the house in our, in our household, um, whether that be for eating or into the wee hours of the morning with my parents sat around it, putting the world to rights. Um, you know, some of my best memories is my best friends coming back after we'd been out and, you know, coming back to the house at one or two o'clock in the morning and my parents still being up and it just being chat, chat, chat and a few drinks and uh, a little bit of banter. Uh, over the table so yeah lo lots of very fond memories of of that kind of bit but the kitchen always passionate about it obviously in the business I'm in now got 13 restaurants love going in them love spending time in there um, twice a year we do a back to the floor uh, where we get all of our support team and all of our operations team and we go back to the floor and I go back and I go into the kitchens I go and work as a steward washing dishes I go back to what brought me into this business um, you know I cut a bin bag open chuck a bin bag over my head two arms um, through it and I stand with the stewards uh, on their washing pots washing dishes and reminiscing about what brought me into this business and making sure I stay real oh, that's fantastic so when did you get the idea that you were going to then kind of evolve from being in the kitchen through to being more in the commercial side of business and, and operationally uh, was there a, like a moment for you or was there a, a promotion that you got that you weren't expecting what, what happened so um, it's actually, yeah, I, I, I'd gone through catering college. I then worked in a number of kitchens, worked in some very lovely fine dining restaurants. So I worked at the Glen Eagles in Scotland for a year. Um, as I say, worked in, in the Savoy, um, did six months over in Switzerland. Um, and I kind of found that maybe the fine dining element wasn't for me. Um, I then came back and uh, I was kind of pottering around looking for a job and I found a job in a care home. Um, and again, it, you know, I, as, as a younger lad, I've done quite a lot uh, of work uh, in charity supporting and the school that I was in was very supportive of that. So uh, any occasion to do charity work, it was probably a good excuse to get out of lessons, um, might have been the, the main driver, but it was also the fact that I was doing good and that felt with my moral piece that, uh, that was working around. Um, so went to work at a care home and absolutely loved it there and very quickly progressed to being a catering manager within that role. And as a catering manager, yes, you're cooking every day because, you know, you're only a team of four or five. Um, and as the head chef catering manager, you know, you're then involved with costings, you're then involved with uh, menu design, recipes. So 
this care home happened to be a place where there were lots of care workers and they came from different Scandinavian countries. Um, and I decided that I was going to move to Denmark um, to follow um, my passion of chefing. Um, there was also a girl involved at the time, so that might have had something to do with it. Um, but Always off to Denmark do. I trot. Yeah. Um, and I think the idea was that I was going to travel around Europe and work in kitchens. I got to Denmark and I just realized that I couldn't actually speak, a, speak the Danish language. So I ended up working at a pizza restaurant. And, and I guess I, you know, I hadn't done what I'd done to go and work in a pizza restaurant. So um, didn't really enjoy that as much as I wanted to. And then the next job that I w found myself finding was uh, working in a Scottish pub. Um, so I then moved into like, the front of house and worked there for about six months and you know, very quickly uh, was able to prove myself and became assistant manager and then became manager. And I think that was it. That, that's when I started realizing that I can do more than just working on the front line, that I can actually manage people. You know, we had a team, um, and again, it was only a team of 12, but we had such fun in that place. You know, there were was, there was still rules that needed to be adhered to, but it was just a, a really fun environment. And again, for anyone that's worked in a bar, um, yes, it's hard work, but, you know, you're socializing at the same time as you're working. Um, and, you know, yes, you're, you're not out with your friends, but you kind of, you then start making friends with your customers, with your guests, um, and you're building that rapport with them. So, yeah, that was the piece. And I worked in Denmark for five years, became fluent in Danish, um, and just, again, set my mind to, I want to be part of the community. I want to be part of what's going on. Um, and, and again, just five amazing years where I learned so much about myself, um, learned so much about other countries. Um, I was actually treated uh, by some people as being the immigrants. So while it wasn't a, a, a race uh, concern, um, I was certainly an outsider and having to fit in into an outside uh, when you're a foreigner in a country, I kind of came across that and that was really uh, challenging. But again, now living overseas again and looking at my team and how I behave with them, there's a lot of lessons that I've drawn upon that. Um, but yeah, I, I, I then finished in Denmark and I came back to the UK and I worked for a very large pub company in the UK. And that's where I kind of learned management because they had the structure and the availability. So I was at the age of 24 and up until then I hadn't learned management. Everything had been self-taught. Um, everything that I'd done was just because... I didn't really have a path. It was just by luck or virtue. And then I started realizing I need to start building a career. So I went off and worked for a pub company. I took a step back to become an assistant manager, went into a pub in London, and again, very quickly got promoted to becoming the manager of that. Um, and uh, yeah, I think that's where my managerial path started, uh, working in a pub, running the, the bar, running the kitchen, uh, managing a team of 30, um, you know, and, and, and realizing that I'm actually pretty good at this. That must have been a big pub in London. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. Uh, it's actually just down the. It was down beside where the old BBC was uh, in Wood Lane in Shepherd's Bush. I think it's now called the Defect as well. But it was called Edwards at the time, and we had there was a chain of them, about thirteen across the UK. Um, but yeah, you know, uh, lunchtime packed with uh, BBC workers. Um, you know, evening uh, early doors. You know, after work crowd, and then go. It was. It was like a. Like the, the, the chain was. It was like a chameleon sort of change through the day, and then at night we'd have DJs. Um, and it was a really busy place. Um, did you, did you and, get, did, did, did you start to, when you were in that role, did you start to get ambitions for bigger and better things? Did you kind of like, oh, yeah. You, the, yeah, that, that, did you know where yeah, you that, were going? Did you know kind of like what, 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 what the plan was? Or was it just, I want more, better, that, that kind of? 
No, I did. I mean, I, I, I was, I was uh, employed by uh, now a great friend um, who was at the time the retail business manager. So as a retail business manager in that business, you were responsible for, say, about 16 or 18 of these bars, pubs uh, or restaurants. And I wanted her job. Um, so it was then about how do I move from an assistant manager to a manager, from a manager to uh, a junior RBM, from an RBM to that. And then I guess from there, you then start, I started following her career and she started progressing. Um, and I think probably about three or four years into working in that role, I set my sights on becoming an MD. And, and that was actually something I said, I want to be an MD by the age of 50. Um, and in that role, I also uh, got the opportunity to, to take an MBA. So uh, at the age of 28, I, uh, I, so I moved from London. Um, I moved north to do a, a, sorry, I moved from London to Essex. I moved back to my hometown and I opened a, a huge bar in, in, uh, in Chelmsford. Um, about a thousand people capacity uh, it was lovely to go back home um, but you know there we had 60 members of staff I mean this place was pumping uh, you know it was Friday Saturday night it was full on you'd have a thousand people in there 12 doormen uh, you know DJ every night uh, this was a, a, a proper happening place and again you know got in there done a great job of, of getting that business up and running um, and that's where again you start setting sights on what's next you know I want to be an area manager um, Worked for an organization where those opportunities weren't in front of me. So I stepped aside, went into a different industry, went into um, uh, an off-license business called Freshers at the time. And I worked, you know, having run one business, a day later going into this next business, I was running 40 uh, off-licenses um, and all covering, you know, across uh, South, South East London, Croydon, some very dodgy areas. And in the UK, when you work in off-licenses, there's some challenges. You know, these are places sometimes that have got white uh, plastic screens up where you open a door and put a, a, a few things through um you know these are regularly held up um and and real big challenges so again you know such a lesson for a you know what was like 20 26 uh, to be managing people where it was their part-time job and it really wasn't their full-time employment um so yeah real 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 lessons um but i knew again the lesson i learned out of that is empathy how you treat your team how you pick them up after they after they fall down um, the resilience of human beings as, as, as a, on a whole and how people really, I, I'm a strong believer that people set out to do the right thing. Um, and it's very rare that people set out to do bad things. Uh, it's just sometimes circumstances that cause that. You've been, you, you, you rise into being a CEO of a company that has got as many brands as it has and um, has seen you do very well. You talk a lot about empathy and stuff, which I think what me getting to know you as well and watching how you interact with your team and how you behave around challenging times has, has demonstrated to me the kind of character that you are, whether it be the stuff you did with Maria's uh, girls from Bangladesh, which we could talk about another time, but then more recently what you've done on the back of the coronavirus. Can you tell me a bit more about what, what's happened to your business, the challenges you faced, and then why you've lent into doing something like this? Because I think what you told me the other day, I thought the story was really interesting. Yeah, no, I, look, Corona has affected our business massively. Um, you know, we were, uh, we are uh, a chain of businesses that are predominantly in malls, and right now the malls are shut. So, you know, from having very busy businesses with tourists, full of tourists and residents, uh, we're now uh, very empty businesses, which we've had to pivot very quickly to move them into delivery. Um, but because the delivery wasn't a main area of our business and wasn't really the model, uh, we, you know, we're getting there. So, you know, we've had to pivot and really look at how we move um, from in-store experience to online experience. And it's not been a, an area that we've really had to look at much before. 
um, you know, you and I got introduced because we started looking at digital in a bigger way. And, you know, it's, it's been great that we've kind of had that experience in our business, Ethan Allen, to be able to now take some, a lot of that learning into what we're moving on now. So, you know, we've got about uh, 5% of our team working. And I think there's also a conscious piece there that we don't want many of our team members out there. Uh, you know, the front line is challenging. Um, you know, we, 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 we really explicitly have social distancing. We temperature check our teams. They come into the, into the workplace. Um, you know, we're, we're trying to limit how many people go into the business. Um, so with these challenging times and when you have a very willing workforce, you know, our, our team um, are very open to helping. They're very supportive. I think, you know, as most businesses do, you hire like-minded people that have a lot of empathy around them. You know, we're a family business. We've got family uh, values around us and we hire people that have those similar value sets. Um, so I guess, I guess at times of stress, like what we're all facing in now, a lot of people go back and maybe they learn uh, the piano. Maybe they go back and they learn artistry. I guess I kind of fell back and thought about the things that I enjoyed doing when I was younger. And I mentioned it, uh, a bit of charity, you know, about how do you do good? How do you do good out of times like this? Um, so I guess there was that piece of kind of reverting back to my youth um, and looking at opportunities to utilize uh, this. I, I, I remember as a young lad, and it was, I think I was in year five, uh, year, uh, fifth year of uh, senior school, so year before finishing, and it was Red Nose Day. Um, and my teacher told us that we couldn't wear a red nose, and it was against the policy. And I ha still haven't found it, but I remember an article being in the Star newspaper, because I was the rebel who wore the red nose and raised a thousand pounds. Um, and I wasn't going to be told that whenever there's something as good as that going on that I couldn't do it. So there was always that aspect of me that was a little bit controversial sometimes, but doing things for the right reason, but maybe not always in the right way. So we, with, with our businesses, um, I just thought, how do we go about this? How do we go about putting our family values? You know, if you're in a time of crisis, what do you do as a family? What would we do? What would I do with my family? Well, we get together, we help each other. You know, when the chips are down, we, 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 like you say, we lean in, we reach out and we do things that are the right things. Um, I was looking for simply through our inventory list and, you know, I noticed that we've got a lot of items that in the next number of months are going to go out of date. And I just thought, I just can't throw them away. I can't have those items destroyed. What can we do with them? And then it got me thinking on a bigger scale. I woke up on a Sunday morning thinking, well, if I've got this problem, everyone else has. So I started ringing around my suppliers and I rung around two of them. And all of a sudden I found out that they actually have millions of dirhams of food that's going to go to waste. So I then thought, well, actually the suppliers individually, you know, if they've got flour uh, and another supplier has got uh, eggs and the other supplier has <clears> got <throat> butter, they can't do anything individually, but I can get all of those items together and make some good. So I guess I looked at ourselves as being the kind of center of that uh, cycle hub and everyone else being the spokes in it. And we are that centerpiece. So we set up our kitchens as commissaries. Um, We've been extremely lucky and we've got very generous people behind us uh, that have given us uh, tomatoes, onions. You know, there's 100 kilos of tomatoes getting delivered today, 100 kilos of potatoes. Um, and our team are in there today. And I'm actually heading down to uh, our, our, our restaurant just after this to go and help pack up the items. Um, and, you know, we're doing it in a, in a very uh, controlled way. Social distancing is happening. Everyone's wearing gloves, face masks, the, the, the protective wear is there. Um, and today we'll make about 500 hot meals um, from all of these ingredients that have been donated. Uh, we've got water coming. We've got water in abundance in our restaurant. Uh, we've got pastries and we'll make up a care bag, a care bag. And that bag will get uh, boxed up into bags of uh, boxes of 10 
and we have our uh, drivers. They drive them down into the uh, NAIF uh, and the Karama area. And with the support of the uh, Dubai Islamic Affairs, uh, they then get distributed out. Uh, we've been doing that all of last week, and I think we're up to 4,000 meals at the moment. Uh, we'll deliver another 3,500 meals this week. Um, and right now, it just feels the most natural thing that we could do. Uh, you know, we, we, we've got kitchens that are empty. They're not trading at capacity. Uh, we've got team members that want to be busy. Um, and we've got suppliers that have got food that's either wasted or they're willing to donate. And right now, it just feels like the right thing to do. And that, that's, that's the reason. There's nothing else. It's just, again, I think it's that family piece coming through. What you do when things are needed, you get on with stuff. But and when you, do when right you have a situation like that, do you, do you notice that you become a little bit of a magnet for other people that start to see the good that you do and say, hold on a minute, we can bring some value too? Is there other organizations, yeah. there other brands that are coming to you saying, what can we do too? Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I, I just popped onto my LinkedIn before we come on here and I've got five messages that I need to get back to. And, um, you know, LinkedIn over the last few years have built up quite a, quite a large following on there. And it is one of those where you just got to spend time at it. Um, so yeah, there's five brands that are looking to support us. Um, you know, I've reached out through my network to other businesses within our associated network to ask for them to, to reach out to their people. Um, it is snowballing. It's really good. And I think what's great, you know, I'm also talking to restaurants, which probably a month ago would have said is competition. Whereas now I'm, I, you know, I've, I've sent two trolleys down to a, a, a business in, um, in, in Dubai just to support them because they're also cooking. Um, and I think more people are thinking about how do they step up right now to do the right thing to support. Um, and, and I guess just, yeah, just put some, some, some of this horrible situation that we're all in to some good. And hopefully, um, you know, you, 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 you get just some self goodwill out of it. Uh, I feel good about what we're doing. I know the team feel very, very genuinely good about it. Um, I go into the restaurant once a week to help pack up the bags and, and support them there. And again, that's back to my piece about, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very hands-on. I want to be on the front line. Yes, I know there's a risk, but of course we're taking the measures that we need to. But I guess if I'm asking my team to, how can I sit here, um, you know, and not be part of that? And I know from, a, from a, a personal point of view, it lifts them, the fact that I'm on that front line with them. Um, you know, the lift that I go down there today just for the next week carries them. Um, but again, it's the right thing. You've done nearly 7,000 meals by the end of this week. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's incredible. And you think what, I mean, at this rate, you'll be going, you'll be going past the 10,000 mil mark very soon, won't you? You see the yeah, I set 10,000 as, I set 10,000 as a, as, as a, a piece for us. Um, and I want to get that, you know, within the next couple of weeks. And obviously right now the government have just launched the 10 million meals, uh, initiative, which was announced, I think yesterday. Um, so, you know, we've, we've, we've been talking to a number of, um, within the Dubai government, the Dubai police, uh, you know, and, and that's who are supporting us uh, to actually to, to, to distribute this out. So I think there is an awareness that there is a need and a, a level of support that's needed beyond what we are doing in other restaurants and other people are doing, because there's plenty of good going on right now. Hey, you, when you spoke to me on the phone about this a couple of weeks ago, I think you were talking about 500 meals. I think it was something like that to see that it's grown and mushroomed as quickly as it has. It reminds me yeah. a little bit of what's been happening recently with that. I've forgotten the guy's name in the UK, the hundred year old ex um, military guy yeah. in the UK that yeah. put 25 million pounds, even though he set, out, he set out to raise 250 quid and look at where he is now. And so it's, it, you know, people that do decide that they want to try and do some good generally, 
Um, they're, they're few and far between, if I'm honest with you. Okay, genuinely, they are few and far between. You, you, people wish other people well and people think that they want to do some good, but it's not often that people take action. All right, last couple of questions before we finish. You're a CEO of an organization that's been literally paralyzed by the coronavirus in terms of what you can do. Um, you've then found a way of creating some good. For all of the other family business owners and businesses out there, what, what, kind, of, what kind of outlook do you see? What do you think is gonna happen over the course of the next couple of weeks based around the virus plus the economy? Where, where do you think we're going? Look, um, there's no doubt everyone is suffering. You know, um, we are equally as as hard hit here uh, as anyone. Um, this this is a non-discriminating uh, virus and 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 pandemic that is affecting every single person. Um, I think. Look, right now you've you've got to really internalise. Um, I think we. We, we work for an organization where we have to move fast. Um, and I think, you know, we, we started to make some very quick, uh, solid decisions from the kind of get-go. Um, you know, we, we always say, you know, we, we, we need to work at lightning speed or you're going to get struck by it. And it really is that sort of mentality that uh, when we have to get going, we have to get going fast. I get, you know, the helping hands is a great example. Um, you know, we, we're looking at tomorrow in a challenging way, knowing that there is a lot of pressure going to be upon us, but we've got to embrace it. I'm, you know, Again, back to wanting to get on. I'm not going to sit and let this defeat us. Um, you know, we're looking at how we can pivot. We're looking at e-commerce. Uh, we're looking at, you know, how does a, a candy store in the middle of Dubai start reaching out to residents online, but beyond online? How does it start to bring boxes into your home where some of that fun comes into your home? How do we bring that experience? And I think that's the piece that I'm not forgetting is we're never going to become an online business that is kind of then you get a box when you get a box from us, it, it has to be a box of happiness and somehow changes your day. It's never going to be just a product. It's about the emotion. And I guess that's where, you know, we're talking, you know, we, we've got work streams called Delivery 2.0 and we're looking at how do we bring the F&B business, but we make it an engagement piece. How do we be generous in that? How do you get an item when you open it, it makes you smile um, rather than it just be a function and a product. There's plenty of people that do that, but how do we do more than that? So I think there's always that piece that I would say for small businesses is look at your strengths. If you're a people-based business and you're looking at putting that into an online platform, into a delivery platform, how do you make what's important in that people-based business important online? You know, um, you know, we look at Ethan Allen. We, we talk about all the things we've, we, we've done in that business to make that business more successful it's about the authenticity. It's about the genuine uh, piece. It's about how do you create uh, personalities behind it? How do you personalize it more? Um, so you kind of take all of that into the F&B business, into the confectionery business. It doesn't change. It's all so relevant. Um, you know, we've, we've been talking today about putting a, a, a Candylicious subscription service together where you can buy a box of candy every month and every month that changes. But every month it will be something really different. Um, but you know, I want people to be opening it like you see influencers when they video the opening of the box going, Oh my God, have you seen this? I mean, you know, we have a hundred people marketing for us ongoing and paying us to do it. Um, so, you know, how, how do we look at these opportunities? We're obviously moving from a tourist based business right now to a residential business. How do we reach out to residents more? Uh, we know there's a lot of competitors that have been doing it long before us. So we're a bit late to the party, but I still don't see that as a boundary. Uh, I see that as an opportunity. Um, you know, I look at the, the skills of our team. Um, you know, we've got to be, you know, someone said to me the other day that when you reopen, 
you can't have a barista who only cook, who only does coffee. That barista needs to do 10 other jobs now. So the idea of going back to what I would say is like a mum and pop business where you all do everything, that is now essential. So, you know, if you are a CEO, you've got to roll up your sleeves and you've got to get down and dirty with everyone. And you've got to be in the trenches with the people supporting them because that's what's needed right now. You've got to get on and you've got to be the master of everything right now. Fantastic. Fantastic. Ty, I could sit and talk to you all day as I love chatting to you, but thank you Cheers. very much. Ty Reed, the CEO of Alibar Enterprises. If people wanted to follow you and the journey you're on, or wanted to try and support you in any way with these meals that you're organizing and other, and other, other initiatives you have, how do they get hold of you? Uh, so Instagram, uh, Ty, which is T-Y-E underscore expats, uh, or you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, yeah, best two ways to find me. Okay, great. We'll put the links in afterwards here. Ty, I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for today. Ladies and gentlemen, I hope you will have enjoyed that episode. What are your takeaways? Let me know what you picked up from what Ty is doing. What kind of a leader are you? What kind of a CEO are you? What's your CEO and leader like? How are you getting stuck in and what kind of effort are you making to get through these difficult times and come out the other side with your, with your gloves on punching? We'll see you on the next episode. Take care. Thank <laughs> you.